Good morning. How's everyone doing? Excellent. Hey, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Who's excited for the Super Bowl? Corey is. That's right, I am. It was just a couple weeks ago that I found out it was football season. Yeah. Where, where, where are the Steelers fans at? Yes, you Steelers fans. Green Bay? Green Bay? Yeah? Fans of commercials? Yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, me and all the ladies. That's awesome. Hey, can you guys imagine if you had, if you had tickets to the Super Bowl? What if, what if somebody gave you tickets to the Super Bowl? How cool would that be? What, what an awesome gift that would be. I mean, can you imagine the privilege to go to the Super Bowl? It's, it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, for, for most people at least. What a great opportunity. Now, personally, I would be a little disappointed. I would, I would begrudgingly go to the Super Bowl and think the whole time, you know, I'm missing the commercials. Ugh, I have to watch football? And I know it's, it's an American tradition to watch football. It's right up there with, you know, Fourth of July and a couple other incredibly American holidays. And I think it's great. It's fun. It's always a good time to go to a barbecue, watch the Super Bowl, have some Orange Crush. And by Orange Crush, I mean the soda and not the Broncos defense. A couple people got that reference. Anyways, the Super Bowl, going to the Super Bowl, it would be a gigantic privilege. It, would be, it wouldn't be an obligation. It wouldn't be something you would do begrudgingly. You, you would say, wow, I get to go to the Super Bowl? How amazing is that? That's so cool. I can't believe I have that privilege. And what if somebody gave you the ticket for free? What if somebody gave you the ticket for free and said, hey, you can go to the Super Bowl. You can be part of something that, that all of America is just thrilled about. You wouldn't do it begrudgingly. You'd say, oh, my goodness, thank you. you you're going to give me a free ticket to the Super Bowl? Amazing. And you're gonna, obviously, you're going to spend as much time with the person giving you the ticket as, as you possibly can before the Super Bowl so that maybe they take you next year, too. Right? Today, we're going we're gonna to read Psalm 100 today and talk about that a little bit. And, and in this psalm, the, the psalmist says, what a great opportunity we have just by our mere existence to participate in the greatest show on earth, God's story. We, we get an opportunity to, to be part of the greatest event ever, greater than the Super Bowl, greater than Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, the greatest show on earth. We get to be part of that, the story of God. Before we get into that, let's have a word of prayer and then uh, we will delve into the scriptures. Let's pray, shall we? God, we come before you and we uh, acknowledge that you are good, and that you are holy, that your truth endures forever. We thank you that you've given us an opportunity to be part of your story, to be part of your story through, through faith and through our mere existence. God, we are grateful for that. And now we dedicate this time to you. We ask that we would be receptive to your word and that we would live that out as a changed people. Now, God, we pray that you would be glorified in this time and we ask that you would receive honor and praise from us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn, to, turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 100. No PowerPoint today. As, as Jack mentioned, Neil had uh, an emergency, and so he had to go to Northern California. And so Friday afternoon, he called me and said, hey, Corey, can you preach this Sunday? And I, I said, ooh, it's Friday. Yeah, I'll, I'll take care of it, Neil. So there is no PowerPoint because I just did not have time. 
So, we're going to do it the old-fashioned way and, and abandon technology and instead read from the Bible. It's kind of, kind of a novel idea. All right, Psalm 100. Now, scholars think that, that the psalmist wrote this psalm as, as a, a chant. It's supposed to be recited as a chant as people were, were walking to the temple and going to make sacrifices and offerings to God. And so the people, this, this procession would, would walk and they would chant this psalm as they were coming into the temple courts. Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving. Make a, jou- a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. All right, so the psalm opens with, with uh, the line that says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Make a joyful shout. Now, when we, when we see a joyful shout, we think, Oh, so we're supposed to go, Woo! Yay! Woo! But that's not exactly... All right, back to football, right? When the Green Bay Packers come out on the field today, what's going to happen? The crowd is going to erupt. They're going to cheer and they're going to whistle and they're going to clap and they're going to be so excited that, that the Packers are here. And then what's going to happen when the Steelers come out? No, not really. There's some Steelers fans, too. I was, I was going to root for the Steelers because they have better colors, but seeing Tony in his, in his uh, Packers shirt makes me want to root for Green Bay instead. I'm very fickle. So, make a joyful shout. This is a, 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 a phrase that was used when a king would come out in front of all of his people and the people would erupt in applause and they would cheer and they would scream and they would say, yes, yes, our king is here. Yeah. It's not, it's not just a, woo, yay, I'm, I'm excited. It's not, it's not. And we miss that. We miss that. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Now, the psalmist using the word all you lands is interesting because he doesn't say make a joyful shout, Israel. He doesn't say make a joyful shout, people of God. He says, all you lands, all of humanity, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all of humanity. The psalmist knows, the psalmist knows that God deserves to be recognized by all of humanity, not just his people. All of humanity should be praising God. See, God's worthiness doesn't just include the people of the church, and it doesn't just include Israel. God's worthiness extends beyond the church. It extends beyond Israel. God is worthy regardless of whether or not we believe in Him or not. God is worthy. God is God. He is worthy. He is above all. He is the Creator. And our, our obedience to Him does not determine whether or not He is worthy. His worthiness extends beyond us. See, to be worthy means, means that he, is, he, he just is. He, he, he is God. And because He is God, He deserves everything that we have. Everything. The thing is, though, we know that not everyone praises God. Not everyone recognizes God's worthiness. 
the psalmist says, shout to the Lord, all you lands. But we know that not everyone does that. And my question is, do, do we even do that? Do we even do that? Do we really recognize the worthiness of God? Look at, look at what he says next. He says, serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Now, what's going on here is twofold. One, serve the Lord. And two, do it with gladness. There's, the exhortation is two-part, right? First, serving the Lord. Now, serving the Lord doesn't just mean when you come to church and when you are participating in ministries. Serving the Lord extends beyond what you do in the church. It extends beyond what's going on here today. Serving the Lord is something we're supposed to do at all times. Always. It's never, it never stops. It never ceases. It's in everything we do. Everything we do, we should be serving the Lord. Everything. But it's not just enough to be obedient and do that. The psalmist says, do it with gladness. Do it with gladness. Now, I know that sometimes it's hard to do that. It's, there's times that I think, oh man, I do not want to go to youth group. There's times that, <laughs> Will's back there laughing, Will and Doug. They, they know, they know. There's times that I think, man, I just don't want to do it today. It's because I'm looking at it in the wrong perspective. It's, it's, it's not something that I have to do. It's something that I get to do. Serving the Lord is not an obligation. It's a privilege. Just like, just like how I was talking about the Super Bowl. It's not an obligation to go to the Super Bowl. It's a privilege. It's not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. You're lucky that you get to do this. You are lucky that you're part of God's story. And as such, we should be glad, glad that we get to serve and glad that we get to be part of this larger story. I mean, do we do this? Do we serve out of obligation or do we do it with gladness? Do we do it because we think we have to or do we do it because we think we get to? Friends, we have to change our view of how, how we look at serving God and working in the kingdom. We have to change our perspective. We have to remind ourselves constantly, this is not something I have to do. This is something I get to do. God has allowed me to participate in what he's doing in the world. God has allowed me to exist. Amen. Praise God, you are worthy. And I will serve you with gladness because of that. We have to remind ourselves constantly. When, when, when those feelings of obligation come up, we have to remind ourselves, no, this isn't an obligation. This is a privilege. We have to cultivate a spirit that, that loves doing things for God. Right? We have to, we have to develop a personality that, that loves good things and hates evil. Amos 5.15 says, seek God and not evil. Right? Seek God, or I'm sorry, seek good and not evil. Seek good and not evil. Friends, we have to cultivate a spirit that, that recognizes what is good. We have, to, we have to cultivate that spirit by reminding ourselves, this is the way God has designed the world to operate. 
And because that's how it operates, that is good. And that's what God wants. And I am privileged enough to get to participate in that. To live that way. To live how God created us to live. To be fulfilled in our purpose. We've got to do that through corrective thoughts. We have to correct our thoughts. We have to recognize what we're thinking and say, no, no, that thought is bad. Rather, remind yourself, I get to serve the Lord. Not I have to. I get to. But we also have to remember why we're doing it and who we're doing it for. Notice verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. It's no shock to Christians when, when uh, a pastor or somebody says to, to them, um, God created you. God made you. The Christian response is, yes, absolutely, I agree. And that's very true. God did, in fact, create us. But I ask you today, do you think that God made you? Or do you think he just created you? Now, the difference there is, if God just created you, he brought you into physical existence, and then you worked really hard so that you could have what you have today. If God made you, God brought you into physical existence and then gave you everything you have. Everything you have. God made you what you are. Every, every uh, Thursday night, my friend comes over to my apartment, and we have dinner, and we talk about... Um, we talk about theology and politics and current events and what's going on in each other's lives. It's, it's a really encouraging night, actually. I, I, I very much enjoy it, and I make a point of trying to do it every week. And this week we were talking, and uh, I, I asked him a question. I said, I said, why do you serve God? What's your motivation for serving God? And what should the Christian motivation be for serving God? And he stopped, and he thought for a minute, and he didn't really have a response. And after a few seconds, he, he, he gave me a response and he said, well, God is God and he's done things for me and thus I should serve him. I was so encouraged that he had to pause and think about it. It's easy to just give the, the Sunday school answer. Well, because Jesus died for me. It's very true. It's very true. And I think if we took a poll today, most people would probably answer that way. And that's very true, and it's a very excellent response to God's sacrifice. It's absolutely accurate that because Jesus died for us, we should live in obedience to him. Is that the answer the psalmist would give us, though? Why would the psalmist say he serves the Lord? Because the psalmist wrote this sometime before Jesus took on human form. The psalmist wrote this sometime before Jesus ever died. So would the psalmist say, I serve God because Jesus died for me? Now, so what was the motivation to serve God before Jesus died? Why has there been generations and generations of people that have devoted their entire lives to God? When they didn't have a savior yet. I mean, there was still a means provided for salvation, but 
Jesus wasn't around yet. So if our answer is simply, well, Jesus died for me and so I serve him, I think we miss something crucial. I think we miss something. Now, I don't mean to say that, that you shouldn't serve God because of Jesus' sacrifice. You should. You absolutely should. You should be very thankful for that. It's the greatest story ever. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died in my stead, in my place, so that I can be forgiven by faith in him. Greatest story ever. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus brought about the kingdom. Well, we'll bring about the kingdom. Because... He was willing to die for us. And we have the opportunity to, to participate in that kingdom through faith in him. And if you've never believed in Jesus, I encourage you to consider that. Consider becoming part of the people of God through faith in Jesus. But, is that the only reason we serve God? That's a very good motivation. It's very good. And it's a very proper motivation. But what about the people from, from the Old Covenant? Why did they serve God? I think we get this this answer in this verse here. Notice that it says, Know all of you that the Lord, He is God. It is He that has made us, and not we ourselves. Friends, the Lord is God. Period. Because He is God, He deserves everything. Everything. He deserves everything. I challenge you to come up with something that God does not deserve from us. I I don't think it's possible. There's nothing that we don't owe God. Why? Because God made us. God made us what we are. I hear people all the time tell me, I've worked so hard for what I have. Absolutely true. I agree. I've also worked hard for what I have. But it's still not something I did. It's still not because of, you know, my hard work. We have the opportunity to be blessed through our hard work. However, it's still a gift from God. God's given you the opportunity to live in a country where you actually can uh, move up in society, where you actually can move up in your career, where you actually can become better than, than you started. But that's still a gift from God. That's still something God has allowed you to do. You didn't make yourself. You're not the God of your career. You're not the God of your family. You're not the God of your car. God is God. Know, all of you, that the Lord is God. It's not something we made ourselves. Sure, we worked hard. Absolutely. But God blessed us. Those blessings that come from your hard work, They're because God has given you the opportunity to work hard and get them. They are from God. God has made you what you are. Some some translations that you have might render this verse, uh, Know all of you that the Lord is God. It is He that has made us, and we are His. Now, the the New King James renders it, um, and and many other translations as well, renders it as... uh, and not we ourselves. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. Now, the difference there is is a textual difference in the Hebrew manuscripts, um, but the point is the same. The point is this. The point is that God has given us life, and God has given us everything we have. God has made us what we are. 
His very nature as the creator demands that we humble ourselves before him and say, God, you are God. I am not. I, I didn't make myself. I didn't give myself anything. You've blessed me with everything. God has made us, right? So now if God has made us, can we really take credit for anything since he brought us into existence? Can we really take credit for anything good we have in our lives? No. We can't. We can't. Let me ask you a question. If, if, if I asked you, why do you serve God? And you said, well, because he, he you know, blesses me and, and gives me good things. Let me ask you this. If God never gave you anything again, if God never blessed you with anything ever again, not with money, not with uh, a, a nice home, not with a nice car, I mean, if you were eating scraps out of a trash can, would you still serve God? I suspect that a lot of us have never thought about that. I suspect that a lot of us have just always thought, God gives me good things, so I'm going to serve him. Does his worthiness depend on him giving us good things, or does he deserve our praise simply because he is? I think of, of Job in the Old Testament, right? Job's this guy, and he's got lots of stuff. And, and uh, Satan comes to God, and he's like, Hey, God, uh, can I tempt Job? And, and, well, God suggests Job. And so then Satan goes, and he, he starts tormenting Job. And Job loses everything. He loses his family, his house, his livestock, his money. He loses everything. He's covered in sores and boils, and he's... Ugh. It would, it just, the, the idea of it just makes my, my skin crawl, Right? Job loses everything. And what's Job do through it? He says, praise God. Things could be worse. They could. They could. I mean, we think, how how could things possibly be worse? Well, he could have never existed for one. He could have died for two. I mean, things could be worse. Right? Right? See, God's worthiness for Job, it didn't depend on whether or not God was giving him good things. God was worthy regardless of what he gave Job. And friends, I say the same thing today. God is worthy regardless of whether or not he blesses us with what we want. God's worthiness extends beyond his blessings to us. God's worthiness is simply because he exists. Simply because he is God and we are his creation that That he deserves everything from us. We so often and so easily look over this point. And and it's easy to do. Right? Flip over to to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Alright, so what's going on here? Moses, right? Moses is, is walking around, caring for his sheep. And he's like, walking around. He sees... he's taking care of a sheep, feeding them, and then all of a sudden there's... What? There's a burning... A, the bush is on fire. Say, what? The bush is on fire. I, I can just imagine Moses standing there thinking, 
bush is on fire and it's not spreading and the bush isn't burning up. That's kind of weird. Now, if I were Moses, I would, I would probably pick up some rocks and throw it at the bush to see what happened. But Moses, he, he approaches the bush a little bit. and he, I mean, I can imagine Moses just kind of looking at it with confusion. And then there's a voice. Moses. Right? God speaks to Moses and, and he, says, he says, Moses, Moses, you're going to go to Egypt and you're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And you're going to tell, tell my people that, that uh, the God of their fathers has sent them. And Moses is like, <laughs> no, I'm not. Check it out, verse 13. And Moses said, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Right? So Moses says, hey, God, what's your name? Now, now he's not just saying, like, you know, when you meet someone new, hi, I'm Corey, what's your name? No, Moses is saying, who are you? What are you about? What should I tell the people of Israel? Why, or the, the people of, of Israel, yeah. What should I tell them? Why should they follow you? And what's God's response? What's God's response? He says, verse 14, And then God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So what's God's response when Moses says, Hey, God, why should we follow you? Who are you? What are you about? God says this. God says, I am. I exist. I am who I am. I don't need to give you a reason to follow me. You're my creation. I just, I am. I exist. And that's enough for you. Now God, in His grace, has given us so much more than just demanding our obedience for, for no benefit to ourselves. But His mere existence, He tells Moses. He says, I am. I just, I am me. I am everything. He says, that's why you should follow me. That's why you should, you should listen to me. Think about Pinocchio, right? When, when Pinocchio was created by Geppetto, did Pinocchio get to say, Geppetto, why should I listen to you? Well, if you know the, the story of Pinocchio, he kind of rebelled, kind of like humans, and then he was redeemed by Geppetto, and Geppetto, Geppetto was kind of saying, all right, all right, yeah, but you still listen to me, because I know what's best for you. I created you to be a specific thing, and I know what's best for you. So you should listen to me, Pinocchio. I find that movie to be a beautiful picture of God and humanity, of our rebellion and, and God's creation of us for, for our purpose, for a specific purpose, right? And Pinocchio owes his allegiance to Geppetto just because of his mere existence. Now, mind you, mind you, it's not an obligation. God created me, therefore I am obligated to serve him. No, no, no. It's not an obligation. It's a privilege. God created me to be part of his story, part of the narrative that, that exists for all of humanity. God created me to be part of something amazing, the greatest story ever told, and I get to play a part in it. Praise God, I'm so lucky. Even if God didn't give me anything else for the rest of my life, I would still be so lucky 
to be part of God's story. And so would you, friends. See, everything you are, everything God has made you to be, everything you have is because of God. And our response should be a spirit of thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that you have made me what I am. Thank you, God, that you have made me at all. Everything you have, your marriage, your car, your home, everything, your children, everything should be devoted to God. Why? Because he's given it to you. God, thank you for my family. May they bring you glory. God, thank you for my spouse. May we bring you glory in this relationship. God, thank you for my existence. May I bring you glory. So then the question becomes, well, when do I do this? When do I serve God in this way? We talked a little bit about it earlier, but verse 4 addresses that very issue. Right? Check it out. The psalmist says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Okay, now, this is temple language, right? The psalm is old. It was written a long time ago. And so, the psalmist says, when you enter the temple, the temple was in Jerusalem, right? He says, when you enter the temple courts, be thankful. When you enter the temple, be thankful. So, when we enter the temple, we should likewise be thankful. The problem with that is the temple doesn't exist anymore. It kind of got destroyed. In 70 AD, the Romans uh, were at war with the Jewish people and they destroyed the temple, the second temple. And thus, we cannot give thanks to God when we enter the temple. Or can we? Now, in the ancient world, a temple was a place where uh, it was believed that God lived. Right? So you have this gigantic temple, and, and people thought that that's where the deity dwelt. Not only the Jewish temple, but the temples to all gods, right? That's where the deity dwelt. Okay? So God lives in the temple in the ancient world mindset. Alright? And the temple was the place where God could be experienced, where heaven and earth met, where, where there was a molding of God and humanity, where God could be experienced. He could, there was so much emotion involved with it. Sacrifices were made there because God dwelt there. People sung praise there because God could hear them. Right? Now, now as a new covenant people, what does this mean for us? Flip over to 1 Corinthians 6. 19. Sword drill, first one there, gets a lollipop. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a twofold meaning to this, this verse, okay? 
Greek has this really cool ability to say, all y'alls is, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. While simultaneously communicating that you individually, as a believer, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the church, collectively, is where the Holy Spirit lives. And the believer, individually, is where the Holy Spirit lives. Okay? Are you with me? I'll go with yes on that one. All right. So, Psalm 100. When you enter the temple, be thankful. Give praise to God. Right? When you enter the temple, where is the temple? Here. Collectively. At church. When we enter the church setting, we should be thankful. We should be praising God. We should be blessing His name. Just like the psalmist says. Enter His courts, his courts with thanksgiving. With praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. When you enter the temple, when you enter the church setting, the, and, and I don't mean the building, I mean the collective group of believers. Right? When you enter that setting, thank you God that I get to be part of this. Thank you God that you exist and, and you have created me. Thank you, God, for everything you have given me. Likewise, when we enter the temple of our body, we should be doing the same thing. Now, that was a little confusing, right? I saw a lot of heads poke up and a lot of people think, wait, what? When we enter our body. Can you ever leave your body? No! No! You're always in in your body. So you're always in the temple. You're always in the temple. You should always be thankful. You should always be praising God. You should always be saying, God, bless your name. Bless you, God. May, may you receive the glory. Thank you for everything you've given me. Why? Because you're always in the temple. You are the temple. And all y'all's is, is this, is the temple. Friends, we should always be responding to God in a spirit of thanksgiving, in praise, every moment of every day. There should never be a time when we're not doing that, when we're not thinking, thank you, God, for this breath. Thank you, God, for this sunshine. Thank you, God, for everything. Check out Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Your bodies, the temple, as a living sacrifice, dedicated to God for His purposes, His glory. Our reasonable service and response to God is to live in a manner that is thankful, praising God and blessing His name in everything we do. That, my friends, is our reasonable service to God. Now you might say, Corey, how can I possibly do that? How can I possibly live in that way every single day? Ah, oh, that's so much work. Yeah it, yeah, it is. It is. That's tough to do. But thankfully, thankfully, God has not said, do it on your own. Make it happen in your own strength. No, God has given us his spirit. God has given us the Holy Spirit to live in our lives, to to empower us, to encourage us, to help us, to transform us into the people that God has created us as. The people that operate according to God's will, the people that operate according to 
to the purposes of God. We're not expected to do it alone. God has given us his spirit for that very purpose. To empower us. To transform us. Look at verse uh, 5 here. Right? Wrong book. Just lost a sword drill, no lollipop for me. Verse 5. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. The Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting. See, God hasn't said, do it on your own. Just do it. Quit complaining and do it. No, God has said, I understand that that's difficult. He has shown mercy and he has given us his spirit to empower us, to help us become what he's, what he's created us to be, what he's restored us as. And now our job is to be sensitive and obedient to the spirit so that we can be restored, so that we can be fully redeemed, that we can operate according to how God created us to operate. And part of that is thankfulness. Paul says, be thankful in everything. Everything. There's nothing that we shouldn't be thankful for. God, thank you for this trial. Oh, that's a crazy thought, right? Why? Because it produces character. James and Paul both talk about that in Romans, in the book of James. Okay, so, God's been merciful to us. And his mercy's not going to run out. It's not not like this water bottle where, you know, I I can pour out some mercy. I'm not going to pour it out because... Neil would kill me for ruining the carpet. Um, It's not like this water bottle that I can pour some mercy out and pour a little more out and pour a little more out and eventually it'll be empty. No, it's everlasting. It's everlasting. There's enough for all of us. For our whole lives. It, It never stops. Don't, don't get the image that, that God doesn't have enough mercy or that he wouldn't be merciful to me because I'm just such a terrible person. It's not true. God is merciful to you. His spirit empowers us. And why will it never stop? Why will God's mercy never stop? Because his truth endures to all generations. God is truth. Everything about God is true. It corresponds to reality. Okay? Anything God says will happen. Period. Don't get the idea that somehow, somehow, well, that might have been true in the Old Testament, but God has changed. No. God's truth. God's truth endures to every generation, to every person. Don't get the idea that the mercy is going to run out. Why? Because it's everlasting and that is true and it will always be true. God is making good on his promise to transform us. God will make good on his promise to return. 
God makes good on his promise to save. And that's never going to stop. Because it's true. And God's truth endures to all generations. And friends, our response is to say, Oh, God, thank you. Thank you. Praise your name. May you be glorified for this. For my existence, for, for my simple existence, may, may your name be praised. May you be glorified. What an amazing realization. God exists. And we need to be thankful for his sacrifice. We absolutely do. That is a key to living as a Christian. But we also have to be thankful for for everything that God gives us. Your very existence is something to be thankful for. Now, I know it's easy to think, "Ah, I just don't have much to be thankful for right now. when When I sit down and I pray, I go through the list. God, thank you for this and this and this and this and this. Amen. And, and, and then I pray, and may you give me more of this and this and this and this and this and this. Amen. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. Let's back up. No, no. God, thank you for everything, for my existence. Thank you that things aren't worse. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't ask God for, for things. You should. It's, it's a good practice, and we're told to do so. Um, We need things to live, and and we should be praying for each other and for each other's benefit. But friends, remember, remember, God's worthiness is not determined by whether or not he gives you what you want. God's worthiness extends beyond what I think I need or what I want. God remains worthy. Why? Because he's created us. Why? Because he's died for us. Why? Because he's made you what you are. Friends, continually remind yourself. Continually remind yourself. God, thank you that things aren't worse. Thank you for creating me. Thank you for everything you've made me. And in response to that, I I dedicate all these things you've given to you. I dedicate them to be used for your glory, for your honor, to bring people to know you. Depend on God's mercy, on his spirit, to empower you. Depend on him to transform you. Pray, pray, and be thankful. Try and spend your normal time that you pray and don't ask for anything, but only give thanks. Now, I know that this sounds hard. I know it sounds hard to live every moment in thankfulness and praising God and for his glory at work, at home, at church, everywhere, every minute. I know that sounds hard. And if you don't think it can be done, give it a shot. Give it a shot. I mean, at minimum, you'll be living the way you were created to live. And you'll find fulfillment in that. I promise that. You will find fulfillment being restored to how you were created to live. Which is the image of Jesus Christ. 
you will be conformed to his image. And that's where the fullness of life is, in his image. Friends, may we be a people that are thankful. May our lives be marked by praise and thanksgiving and blessing God. May our lives be marked by love. May our lives be characteristic of what the psalmist says when he says, God, you are God, and I am yours. And everything I have is yours. Let's pray. God, we come before you today and we recognize that it is you that are God. That we have done nothing and that everything we have is a gift from you. That everything we have is yours. God, it is you that has made us and for that we are thankful. We thank you for life. We thank you for physical life and and restored spiritual life in your son Jesus through faith in him. God, we praise you for that. We ask that you be glorified. We ask that your name would receive honor. God, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We pray all these things in thankfulness of the resurrected Jesus. Amen.